0: God bless. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to you guys who are here. Welcome to you guys who are joining us online. Um, as we get started, uh, as we've been doing, I want to take some time and acknowledge some of the needs that have come through the prayer uh, email that we are aware of. One is uh, for Sue Benson as many of you have seen on the prayer email. Uh, Sue does have pancreatic cancer. She's gone through her second round of chemo, um, and she's not doing well. She's very weak. She's very tired. She doesn't want to take the supplements that they're giving her to try and help her. She's lost her appetite. And again, these are all things that happen uh, with the cancer and the chemo. Um, And so we want to be praying that she gets stronger, that she is able to take the things that she can, that can help her at this time. We want to pray for Kristen and the family um, as they feel helpless and unable to uh, really do anything for her, you know, at this point. And it's kind of a situation when you see the people that you love going through A terminal sickness uh, and your hands are tied, it's just heartbreaking. And so we want to pray for Sue and I know there are other needs out there that we can lift up as they come to your mind, um, but we want to stop and we want to pause and we want to acknowledge these things together and lean into what God might have for us. So let's pray. Father, we are here because we believe that you care. We are here desiring to connect to you. And in that connection, it includes the people that we love and care about. And so, Father, we lift up Sue to you. We ask that you would bring healing to her body, strength to her soul. We pray for Kristen, Ben, and the kids, and all those who are around her, that you would strengthen them as they try to do what little they can to help her at this time. And pray that your peace that is beyond our ability to understand can guard their hearts and minds through this time. And Father, we are grateful that you care, that you love, that you weep when we weep, that you understand our infirmities, our weaknesses, and can understand them in a way that allows us to feel comforted by your presence in them. And that's what we pray, Lord, that your presence would be known in these difficult situations and that you would allow that to sustain them through this time. And as we are gathered here, Father, we have needs as well, and you know what they are. You know the emotional just turmoil we go through. You know the physical exhaustion we go through. And we ask that as we are here together, leaning into you at this time, that you would meet us where we are. And we are grateful for your love and faithfulness in these times. And we ask your blessings for Jesus' sake. Amen. It always strikes me how songs will have an effect on me so much depending on where I'm at, right? If you're going through something, they hit different. You know, they just strike a different chord in you. Um, And it's amazing how that works, that no matter where we are, there's this ability for, you know, the spirit to kind of reach through the music or maybe a conversation or whatever, Uh, to connect to us where we are. And I think that's pretty profound. And I think it's important to recognize that that's the case because even as we look at passages in Scripture, they are going to connect to us and who we are, where we are, and the culture that we're living in, the experiences we're going through. And and the next few weeks, I want to go through uh, some different words that we hear throughout Scripture and look at where those words maybe originated in the Old Testament, how they then kind of are used in the New Testament, and what those things kind of mean to us. And there's a number, there's like 15 words that I'm looking at, and we've touched on some of them, um, but I wanted to put them up there because I want to ask you guys, what words out of this list would you want to go through? And so, Gil, if you want to put that list up. Here are the words we've got, if you're just listening on a podcast, sorry, can't see them, but I'll read them to you. So righteousness, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. Faith. Now, we've kind of talked on faith, but we'll talk about it again if you want to. Peace, gospel, grace, religion, forgiveness, sit on that one for a while, fellowship, Holiness, life, hope, love, the cross, salvation, and witness. You don't have to tell me right now, but maybe if you take a picture of this or if you've listened and re-listened, think about those words and which one would you like to talk about? If you're watching on YouTube, you can write it down after you maybe... Gone through them. If you want to put a note, and we'll look at that and see, because I want you to dictate the things that we talk about moving forward. I got my favorites that I'll probably still talk about because I get to. But I'd like to know what you are, because I'm not going to cover all 15. That might just get a little laborious. But I want to pick out the ones that I think are most um, interesting to you, And, and. As we do that, and as I start today on righteousness, let's kind of set the temperature gauge right now. When I say the word righteousness, what comes to mind? Any thoughts? Shout it out. Or don't shout it, but speak it. Anyway, you don't have to. (laughs) Holier than thou. Holier than thou, okay. A little judgment going on in there, okay. Any other thoughts? What it means to you? Right with God? Okay. Now, I'm not saying right or wrong, holier than thou. That might be wrong way to look at it, but we're gonna kind of lean into this a, a little bit. Uh, imagine if you, you saw an advertising for a job description of a manager of a restaurant. And in the description, they said that they wanted you to have uh, good leadership, communication skills, um, be proficient in Excel or some kind of spreadsheet programs, must be righteous. That would strike you, right? That'd be like, must be righteous. What would you think? Are you asking me to be religious? What is that? And for us, it is unique because it's not a word we use today. It was a a word used commonly back at the time of both the Old and New Testament, I think I remember hearing the word righteous when I was in high school, living in Santa Monica, um, by one of the guys who surfed. And he's like, man, the way, he's are righteous, man. Um, but that, that was like my extent of that word. And so we don't have the connection that I think this word had at the time. And so we want to lean into that. Or again, maybe it is more of a legalistic You know, checking the boxes, obeying certain laws and rules in order to be right with God, or as was said, you know, this holier than thou. Gosh, I had a pastor who liked to use this passage in Isaiah that said, your righteousness is as filthy rags. And he would go on to just let everyone know that their righteousness was as filthy rags. And then he would let us know that filthy rags actually meant a minstrel garment that had been used. And he had no problem saying this. In fact, get this, he said this at a wedding where (laughs) Gil knows who, The, the bride was there. Yeah, she looks beautiful, but do you know her righteousness is at filthy rags? And do you know what that means? At a wedding, oh my God. You know, no wonder people aren't flocking to the church. I don't understand it. It's like that was the concept of righteousness that he had. And at the time of scripture, it was a common word, just like grace and faith were when we talked about them, and not a religious one. In fact, the divide between uh, secular and religious culture didn't really exist. It was kind of life at that time and how they saw things. And so to better understand what this word means, there are some notions that we have to kind of understand from our point of view that aren't the same as what it was at the time of view when this was written. And one was religion is optional, or it's not an obligation to us. To them, religion was a way of life. And so it wasn't like there's my religious life and then my secular life. There was just life, and their religious life was a part of it. And that wasn't just for Israel. That was pretty much the world. Everyone had some kind of God or belief that they leaned into, and it was common for it to be just integrated into every part of their life. Religion is private, not public. No, again, it was just who we are as a nation of Israel. This is who we are as a people. This is who our God is. This is what our laws are. This is our belief system. And as we went through Exodus, we saw that the structure of the law was also the definition of the people. And so there wasn't this private or public, and religion is spiritual, not material. Again, there wasn't a divide. There wasn't, there's the spiritual aspect, and here's the physical or natural aspect. The biblical writers did not associate salvation with heaven, inner peace, or spiritual enlightenment, per se. They saw the redemption vision of the gospel in both the Old and New Testament as a world restored to righteousness. Not souls and spirits rescued from hell, but bodies, communities, trees, forests, all of creation restored to health and vitality. And we've talked about new creation being a big part of this gospel message. And to be righteous is to live and behave according to a standard of what is good and right towards the other. In other words, it's relational. You're not just righteous because you just are. You're righteous in connection to. And so in Genesis, Noah is said to be a righteous man. It means that he cared about having a clean conscience, that he wanted to live faithfully according to a standard of what was right, caring about justice in the world. We might say he was a person of integrity, right? And it describes him in Genesis 6 as being blameless. And so there are other words that were used in association with righteous, words like pure in heart or innocent or fa- fairness or justice. Those are all words that are semin- synonyms. Sim, sim. They're similar, yes. Synonyms. Anyway, The ancient writers saw a person as a soul and body and didn't divide the things into spiritual and physical. There would not have been a difference between a social gospel and a spiritual gospel. They were the same, and righteousness is like that. Even as we looked at and talked about salvation, it was very similar, right? Salvation isn't about, you know, now I go to heaven instead of hell. Salvation, it was about restoration. It was about healing, It was something that encompassed all of who we were, past, present, and future. I shared before when I got abruptly let go and fired from a church, and I was up in Napa with my wife freaking out, wondering what's going to happen to us now that this has happened. I was driving through Napa, which is gorgeous, and on the Silverado Trail, it saved me. It restored hope within me. Because I was just let down, but all of a sudden, all these things around me started to restore my hope in God and the future and faith. And so it wasn't just, oh, now I believe in Jesus, so I'm going to heaven. No, now I have hope for whatever God's going to do in the future because I can't see it right now. I don't know what it is. And the same is true with righteousness. It's something that we live into, not just something that is required of us. It involves faithfulness and loyalty, being there for the other person, keeping your word, and even showing mercy. In fact, God is often seen as a God who is righteous and merciful. So there's a connection with there. Again, there is a relationality to this. In the Old Testament, it is this covenant with a righteous God who pledges loyalty to his people, to the nation of Israel, and demonstrates his character by doing good and being just. And so the psalmist says in Psalm 11, verse 7, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright will see his face. Part of the covenant with this people. And remember, a covenant is different than a contract. A contract is an agreement two people have on the contract. A covenant is a, an agreement that they have with each other. And so part of this covenant is that the people are to be righteous, they are to be faithful to God, but also just and good in the world. They are to be a light to the other nations, they are to love one another. That's in the Old Testament. They are to care for one another. That is all part of being righteous. And that is part of the covenant that they were to have made with God. But as we know, things change. Part of that covenant with the people became distorted and they stopped being caring for one another, stopped being a light to the other nations. And in Isaiah chapter one, The Lord tells them, learn to do what is good, seek justice, correct the oppressor, defend the rights of the fatherless, plead the widow's case. These were the deeds of righteousness. This is who they were supposed to be in the world and to one another. But as the story goes on in Isaiah, he starts to give this picture of Israel as being this vineyard that God was trying to care for but they were not living up to the covenant. And so later on in chapter five, verse seven, it says, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, the plant he delighted in. He looked for justice, but saw injustice, for righteousness, but heard cries of wretchedness. This is the context of Isaiah, by the way. It's to the nation of Israel for not living into the covenant. Just for the old pastor that I was referring to, that would be helpful. It's not for weddings, basically, okay? Um, It's for this group of people living into this to reason with them that through their sins, through their injustice... And though it was scarlet, they could be made white as snow, that God was still wanting to be merciful to them. So the good news that Israel was looking for, that they were leaning in, hoping to find, was both to restore justice and righteousness to the whole world and also restore his people who were to be that minister to the world. And that leads us up to how we now look at the New Testament. That's just a real brief understanding of where they are seeing this idea of righteousness. And so the gospel of Matthew really pushes this idea of righteousness. And it does so from the very beginning. In Jesus's ministry at the very start in Matthew chapter three, verse 13, it says, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? Jesus answered him, allow it for now because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him to be baptized. Interesting, Jesus begins his work by identifying first with Israel by being baptized. Then why would he say for us to fulfill all righteousness? righteousness. Now, don't know exactly, but it would seem that Jesus was intent to spread the gospel of the kingdom of God and this world would bring God's righteousness into it. The the dynamic activity of right making would start to take place. But Jesus didn't just talk about this. He embodied it. Right, And so that was the difference. It wasn't just about, yeah, here's what I think it is. It's about, here is what it is I'm going to show you. And so later on, when John would question, are you the one, Jesus, or should we look for another? He said, tell John what you see, right? That the blind see, the lame walk, that the poor have the good news preached to them. What's that? This is living in righteousness. He is bringing this restorative aspect to them. And so this is very central to the message. You are to live as I am living among you. And in his first sermon in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives blessings on all kinds of different people. Those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You see, these people were hungry for righteousness. They were being filled with unrighteousness. They had people over them who were using them for their own gain. They had the people who had power, not caring about their needs, but just feeding themselves with that power. I know we can't relate to that at all today, but it is something that they were living in with a constant awareness that things aren't right and those who have power are using that power to keep things the way they are and not really help those who are in need. And so they had this hunger and thirst for righteousness. But think back to Isaiah's vineyard. He looked for justice, saw injustice for righteousness, but heard cries of wretchedness. It is now the people of God who recognize that the kingdom of God is breaking in. Even as Randy talked about last week, repent and believe the gospel. Repent. This is the good news. The kingdom of God is now here. It's now at hand, able to be grasped. You're able to take hold of it, longing for the kingdom and seeking to do good God's will, to be righteous because the kingdom of God is the place where God's will is done by his people. The kingdom is not about this abstract thing called heaven or salvation or justification. It is a society and a people that are about righteousness, living rightly towards God and each other in honesty, Fairness, compassion, justice. But with this idea of righteousness, there's a dark side, right? There is this kind of shadow side to the idea of righteousness that we see in the gospel. And it shows up through the Pharisees. And sometimes the Pharisees get a bad rap because we see, or highlighted in the Gospels, just the ones who are actually doing things that are in contrary, opposed to Jesus. But a lot of Pharisees were sincere. There was Nicodemus. There were others who wanted to do right, but they were focused on doing right according to their interpretation of the law. And there were certain things that they focused on that Jesus condemned because they neglected other things. They were concerned with fasting. They were concerned with prayer. They were concerned with giving. And those were the things that they looked at as, see, we do these things the right way. And then Jesus would say, well, what about justice? What about mercy? You have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And that was the condemnation, the righteousness that needed to be exceeded. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, You will in no way inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because the kingdom of God is the righteousness of God. It is living in right standings with one another as well as with God. Jesus' righteousness is about the unpredictable, dynamic, justice-seeking, compassion, and mercy-filled. Anyone and everyone is welcome. Heart and soul-piercing kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. The New Testament is all about righteousness, and righteousness is not religious piety. It is about honesty, transparency, personal integrity, faithfulness in relationships, justice-seeking in the world, and compassion and mercy toward the other, especially concerning the marginalized in society. we try to make things either spiritual or physical and we lose the power of what's being said. And you think about where Paul talks about taking on the whole armor of God. And I don't know about you, but I've heard that and it's always been this metaphor about, you know, yeah, I need to pray, I need to do these things, I need to kind of lean. But what is the whole armor, God? It's having this belt of truth, being truthful a breastplate of righteousness, being in right relationship with people, with peace, your feet with this gospel of peace, living peacefully with one another. These are all relational things. This is all about character. Faith, as we've talked about before, is a dynamic in relationship with. And a helmet of salvation is not, well, I'm going to heaven, boom, I put my hat on. It's again, it's about restorative living. Paul said that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? If righteousness is, oh, I just have to be in right standing with God, that's all that matters? What if I'm not in right standing with other people? Isn't that what Isaiah condemned? Isn't that what Jesus condemned? Where's the justice? Where's the concern for those who are around you? What good is it being Christian if we don't love one another? And so what good is righteousness if it's just between me and God and not also between me and someone else? And so in concluding, the nature of biblical righteousness is justice... It's right-seeking, it's a light in a dark world. It's doing what's right so that people can see it. Not just, I think the right way so I'm right with God. The great big vision of the gospel taking root and growing in God's world is one of transformation. Transformation of the individual and of the society. That's why Christianity was so huge is because the people changed and it couldn't be denied. It affected them and it affected those who saw it. And so this tired old polarization of the spiritual gospel versus the social gospel resembles nothing of what Jesus Paul or the rest of the New Testament writers thought about, especially regarding righteousness. The social gospel carries the danger of caring for people, but not doing it with the love of God for the people at the center. The spiritual gospel turns the eye inward to one's own soul and is blind to the broken state of God's world, where creation groans for the body of Christ to bring healing. Righteousness is not just a status of being right with God. It is not being a good rule follower. Jesus following righteousness is transformative and on a mission to right the wrongs of the world to the glory of God. A while back, we had on our refrigerator something that my grandson made at school. He made this little, you know, Sheet and it had a picture of him and it has my favorite food was a quesadilla and my favorite color and this is my favorite things to do and had this little list and it was there just with a magnet i remember one day he was walking by refrigerator he stopped and he's just looking at it and i was just like looking at him looking at it right and then he looks at it and then he straightens it and then he walked on right His, his ocd kicked in he says this thing's crooked and he just had to straighten it Would that we, whenever we saw something that was crooked, felt the need to straighten it. Felt the need to step in and say, you know what, this isn't quite right. Every time we walked past a situation we saw needed straightening, we took the time to be righteous. Let's pray. Father, as always, there is so much more to what you would say to us than maybe we are even capable of hearing. But I'm grateful for the pushes that you give us to live more, to be more, to see more of who you are in our life and help us not to come to a reductional kind of living that reduces you into an understanding that is so small and can be figured out only in certain ways. May this gospel of righteousness be seen in the world that we live in, in the world we encounter, wherever we are, with whoever we encounter. May it widen our borders and not narrow our vision. Help us to understand not only what it is, but to follow your steps and to live in a way that reveals what it is. We thank you for this time, Lord, again, in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, remember, if you have a request for what word to talk about next week, let me know soon. You have to let me know in the next couple of days because I'm going to start thinking about it. Or if you guys here want to let me know or text me, most of you got my number, um, let me know. In the meantime, may you understand the goodness of God that is before us. And may we walk into the kingdom that is filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. God bless you guys. Have a great week. And I'll talk to you guys more about this now. All right, take care.